0: Well, please take uh, one of the church Bibles, or your own Bible, and open to Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to take the time for reading from verse 19 to the end of the chapter, and you'll find that on page 1208, in one of these red Bibles, 1,208, Hebrews chapter 10. Still some rustling, so we're nearly there. Hebrews 10, okay. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and then having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? Who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him and who has insulted the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge. I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a very little while... He who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. This is God's word. This evening we're going to conclude sort of a little mini-series, I guess, on what the Bible has to say about church. We've done so because it's it's important from time to time to remind ourselves of the central place of the church and God's plan and purposes for the world. And we've seen really that the church is God's people gathered by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then we've looked at what the church is called to do when it gathers, and it gathers to worship God, we considered. Uh, Secondly, we, 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 we thought about the word fellowship, it gathers to express its fellowship with God in Christ and then last week we looked at how we gather for edification remember bodybuilding we gather for building up the body of Christ and tonight I want us to think about this that we're going to that we gather for mutual encouragement in Christ and so that was a lot of text so let me just zero in on two verses that we'll spend most of our time just reflecting on. We're going to think about it in the context of the chapter, but let's just focus in on verse 24 and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching something I witnessed in America and actually I've seen coming back to the UK something even here at Charlotte is this uh, that some people who profess to be Christ see attendance at church as kind of an optional extra to the Christian life and so we as elders we kind of uh, month by month, we kind of work through the, the membership and we seek to uh, just talk about, okay, where are people at? What's going on? Who has specific concerns? How can we pray for them? And we spend some time in prayer. And uh, quite often we come up with names of people that are on the list, but just we just don't see them coming to church. We don't see them attending here at Charlotte. And there seems to be a disconnect for some people between professing to be a Christian and attending kind of church with us. And that is something I have to tell you really troubles me because of these verses, and we're going to think about that tonight. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, uh, the, the Baptist preacher of the 19th century, uh, wrote this I know there are some who say, Well, I have given myself to the Lord, but I do not intend to give myself to any church. Now, why not? Spurgeon asks the question. Because I can be a Christian without it, the reply comes. Are you quite clear about that? You can be as good a Christian by disobedience to your Lord's commands as by being obedient? There is a brick. W- what is it made for? To help build houses. It is of no use for that brick to tell you that it's just as good a brick while it's kicking about on the ground as it would be in the house. It is a good-for-nothing brick, Spurgeon says in his unique style. And he goes on, So you rolling stone Christian, I do not believe that you are answering your purpose. You are living contrary to the life which Christ would have you live, and you are much to blame for the injury you do. What we need to see today from God's word um, is that it's a serious thing to voluntarily drop out of regular attendance of church. Uh, Our text this evening shows that non-attendance in the 21st century uh, is not a new phenomenon. Back in the 1st century, the writer of the book of Hebrews uh, writes to a church where some of the members were getting into the habit of neglecting to meet with fellow believers... And what I desire for us to see tonight is, is the spiritual significance of, of when that dropping out takes place. To, to see why it's a problem and then look to the solution. And to see the vital function of mutual encouragement uh, in our gathering. So here's my proposition tonight. That neglecting to meet together with Christ Church is evidence that we are drifting away from faith in Jesus Christ. Giving up on church is one of the earliest signs that you are giving up on Christ. Now, verse 25 says, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And it means that some were able to attend, but neglect to do so. I'm not referring tonight, uh, for those who watch these DVDs at home, hello. I'm not referring to those who would love to be here with us, but just simply can't be, because they're, you know, not well. They're they're, they're just too old and frail. And and uh, you know, you're just as much a part of this congregation as everyone sitting here tonight. It's not to those who would love to be here that this is addressed. It's those who could be here but choose not to be. And I want to say to you, if. This is the Sunday you turn up when you've had a long time of being away, or if you end up listening to this a download on MP3, to say, actually, warning. The first signs that you're falling away from Jesus Christ is that you fall away from attending church with God's people. Um, That's the pastoral issue, really, behind this whole letter of Hebrews. The the Christians there attempted to give up on their faith. It's quite astonishing, really, because they had a previous track record of joyfully enduring persecution. Look at verse 32 again. Remember those earlier days after you'd received the light, when you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. uh, Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult. And persecution, at other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. you sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property, because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. it will be richly rewarded. Many of these Christians had previously been uh, Jews, before recognized that Jesus uh, was their Messiah. And while well before their Jewish faith was tolerated by the Roman Empire, their Christian faith was not. Uh, they they had already endured public mockery, attacks, imprisonment, the loss of their property, and it could well be that for some they were tempted just to go back to their old Judaism where they could not you know wouldn't have to face the same suffering. And while in former days they had the conviction that actually having Christ and being amongst Christ's people was of of greater value than their own public reputation or even their comforts or even their possessions, some were in danger of throwing away that very same confidence. And the writer of this letter is writing to them because some were beginning that habit of not coming to meet together. Now, is it external persecution that holds people back from attending church here at Charlotte Chapel. Well, uh, certain ethnic groups, um, if you sort of leave Hinduism or an Islamic background to come to Christ, well, it might indeed be persecution. But let's be honest, for the majority of us, I don't think that is the case. Superficially, it seems to me that we are distracted by our materialistic, sort of pleasure driven society. It's, it's more about laziness and the seduction of the false promises of the world, the Vanity Fair, to use Bunyan's language. Uh, for far different reasons to the first century, we can end up in the same place of throwing away our confidence in Christ for just some more sensual promises, some materialistic benefits that we go after. We, we give up on the things of Christ and meeting with Christ's people because we value other things more. I actually... Believe that we are in a far more sinister spiritual environment than those who are in persecuted countries. There the issues are stark and clear but for us they're not. But we are surrounded by stuff and the pursuit of what everybody else is pursuing. And, and, and we can just be choked alive without ever really realizing it. Gradually drifting away. You know... The truth is we stay away, we, people leave, they don't bother coming to church because they actually think they're going to get more out of the football game, they're going to get more out of sitting at home watching TV, they're going to get more out of leisure activities with their family or doing some extra work to make some money, rather than meeting with fellow believers. And, and how do we get into that way of thinking? Well, presumably it's because we don't think there's any danger out there. There's no threat to my Christian life. Uh, That we believe that we can still be Christians without church. And what I want us to see tonight from Hebrews is that actually we desperately need the spiritual encouragement that church provides. We desperately need it. This, This gathering of fellow believers in the gospel. We need each other. Superficially, it seems like it's distractions, it's laziness that keeps us from church. But actually, the deeper issue is that despite our Christian profession, we may still have an evil, unbelieving heart. That's what the writer Hebrews says. Keep your finger in Hebrews 10 and turn back with me to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. Um, and you'll see verse 7 there the bottom of the right hand page 1202 in the church bibles so as the holy spirit says and then he, then psalm 95 is quoted today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath in my anger. They shall never enter my rest. Quote from Psalm 95, and then the preacher goes to work. Application, verse 12. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness we have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first see what Hebrews presents for us is that we might well be professing to be Christians trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ but there's a real danger that we could be deluding ourselves just as nearly a whole generation of Israelites failed to enjoy the benefits of the promised land because they hardened their hearts to God's word in disobedience, then we need to take care that we do not have an evil, unbelieving heart that leads us away from the living God. Now, going to church does not save us. Coming to church tonight will not save you. Continuing to trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior That's what saves us. He's the one who rescues us. And we need to keep trusting him. But the Christian fellowship that church provides is a vital means that God gives us, a means of grace to keep us trusting the Lord Jesus. Most people who give up their Christian faith do so gradually, bit by bit, drifting away from Christ. And one of the earliest indications is this, to stop attending church how long do you think the Bible trusts us to say faithful to Jesus well have a look there in verse 12 see to it brothers that none of you has a sinful unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God but encourage one another how often? daily how long does the Bible trust us? 24 hours basically we're good for about 24 hours and then we need some spiritual encouragement to keep us pressing on sin is very deceitful it never presents itself obviously it promises us so many benefits it says come and do this activity come and try this it's so much fun. It's going to be so freeing. It's gone. Be grown up. Be mature. Try this. It, it's life. It's not. It's very deceitful. And we need each other to point sin out in each other's lives so that we do not harden our hearts to turn away from the living God. Now, we're already seeing some of the solution, but I, I want to linger a little longer on the seriousness of the problem here. Come back to Hebrews 10.25. And see the urgent motivation for this, this exhortation to church gathering. And you'll see it there in verse 25 at the very end, in that last phrase, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, when you see the words, the day, with a capital D on the day, this isn't any old day, of course. This is the day, the final day of history as we know it. It is the day of the return of Jesus Christ, a day of salvation for those who eagerly wait for their Lord and Savior to return, but a day of judgment for those who remain in their rebellion and sin. We gather as a church with our eyes firmly fixed on that day. Now look at the following verses uh, that, that after verse 25 to see how this motivates us in our gathering. Look at verse 26. If we deliberately keep on sitting, after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. The most frightening words in the Bible. Verse 26 is not saying that there is a limit to the forgiveness that Christ is willing to extend to those who turn to him for forgiveness. Now, if you're willing to turn to Christ, there's no limit. Such is the sufficiency of his sacrifice. But here is the fearful end for those who merely profess faith in Christ, but who in truth have consistently hardened their hearts against God's word in disobedience and have persistently pursued sin without any repentance. And what do the verses say? For such a person, there is nothing but a fearful expectation of judgment. What a terrible judgment awaits those who have known fully the gospel of the Lord Jesus, but in practice have trampled on the cross of Jesus, treating the gospel of grace as rubbish. How will God deal with such apostasy? Well, it's right there at the end of verse 31. It is a dreadful thing, a dreadful thing, to fall into the hands of the living God. Now, we live at a time when attending church is just seen as a lifestyle option. And I think we need to see as biblical Christians that what is at stake here is the difference between heaven and hell. We live at a time of such triviality and superficiality where, where ultimate spiritual, spiritual realities are either a joke or never considered. And so we have to look hard at verse 26. If we deliberately keep on sinning, after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment now my friends tonight how you respond to those words will make all the difference in the world for you it'll have eternal significance to write them off and discount them well if you take such a stand I fear for your soul if you persist in that unbelief there is no hope for you but if, you, if these verses are troubling you, if these verses make you anxious and drive you to repentance and trust in Christ, then I believe you show that you truly belong to Christ. The writer of the Hebrews writes them, I think, to provoke God's people to repentance and faith. Uh, look at verse 39 at the end of the chapter. After all these hard things, this is what he says to them. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. He's hoping the best for them. He trusts the best for them. In fact, these hard saying, these hard phrases of of the judgment of God for those who persist in sinful unbelief are there to provoke the elect, are there to provoke God's people to pursue repentance and not to be casual about sin, And he says, no, and we trust that you are those who are not going to shrink back, but those who believe and are saved. It it is with such a future and eternal perspective that we are called really to pursue our church life together. These are the sort of issues that are at stake when we gather as God's people. It is nothing less than heaven and hell. Here, We see God's appointed means to help us persevere, to help us keep going, to help us have a living faith in the Lord Jesus. And so let's come back to verse 24 and 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We gather as God's people to mutually encourage each other to keep pressing on in trusting Jesus. It's a, just a vital part of our Christian lives uh, That's what, that, that, that we do that as churches, that we do that as a church here. So let's apply this. Let's get practical. Now this is really very tough to apply, isn't it? What's the application? I really can't think. Oh, I know. Point one. Do not neglect to go to church. Uh, is the preacher making this up? Can you see this in the text? Are you with me? Do not neglect to go to church. That's clearly what's going on. The first duty of membership is attendance. That's the first great duty of membership. Uh, uh, turning up. Committing to turn up. Don't give up on church. We all need it to keep us pressing on in our Christian lives. Last week's sermon we looked at uh, the goal of meeting together was to edify each other, build each other up. We all have gifts to come and serve one another. And the danger of a sermon like that is at the end of it people say, "Well, that's all very well, but I'm so discouraged, I've got nothing to give." I'm so ex- my week has been so exhausting. I can't come and give out. And do you know what? When you feel like that, when you've got nothing to give, come to church. The time that we least feel like going to fellowship group, the time that we least feel like turning up to prayer meeting, the time that we least feel like turning up to church is the time we most need to go. It is the vital means that God uses to keep us Christian, to keep us trusting Jesus. We gather to hear his word read, explained. Uh, we, we gather to sing his word, to pray his word, uh, so that we can know and trust Jesus better. And we gather to fellowship one another, to ask after each other, to apply God's word together, to encourage each other, to rebuke each other, to help each other to keep pressing on. Second point of application. Consider how you can provoke Christian obedience when you go to church. Great. You're committed to coming to church. Good. That's step one. Step two is very important. Before you come, consider how you can provoke other people to be obedient to Christ. Let us consider how we may spur one another to love and good deeds. Do you see how intentional... We are called to be about gathering together. Don't just turn to church without any thought or preparation. No. Come having carefully considered, prayerfully considered perhaps the night before, how you might be able to come and encourage others in those things that flow from salvation. Now that's the significance of that phrase, love and good works, love and good deeds. Keep your finger in Hebrews 10. Turn back to Hebrews 6. This is a great cross reference. Hebrews 6 verse 9 and 10. even though we speak like this dear friends we are confident of better things in your case things that accompany salvation what are things that accompany salvation then write to the Hebrews verse 10 God is not unjust he will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you've helped his people and continue to help him what are the things that accompany salvation love and good deeds work as we help one another. So come back to Hebrews ten. That word spur is a very strong one. Well, think about a spur. When do you normally use a spur? Well, you're on a horse, riding along, and that horse is feeling like it just wants to munch some grass. It needs a little bit of gentle encouragement. What do you do? Well, if you're a Western cowboy, you stick your spurs in. Yeehaw! And the horse gets the point and starts going forward. See, that's what a spur does. It's a very strong word, a spur. It literally means to provoke, even to irritate. Um, Now, we do a good job sometimes of just irritating each other. (laughs) Without really thinking about it, this is a different sort of irritation. We are called to come, uh, consider before we turn up, how we're going to irritate other Christians to love other people. We're going to irritate each other to good deeds that help other people. What a great irritation. Are you going to be irritating tonight? Oh, some great irritation ahead. Spurring one another on. We should be gathering together and saying to each other, just lovingly in our friendships, Hey, look, let's provoke each other, irritate each other to to kind of love and serve our wives Man, we should be provoking each other, saying, are you loving and serving your wife? What's going on? Wives, you can provoke each other. Are you loving and serving your husband? I know it's tough, but are you doing that? Uh, We can spur each other to to love and teach our kids to help and serve our brothers and sisters in Christ together. It's not just the job of the pastor to be provocative. It's something we're all called to do. We're all called in this ministry to consider as we come, how are we going to do this? Uh, You know, if you're a member here, you can ask the office and they'll give you a membership directory without pictures. Now, let's pray for the IT department as they work towards this glorious photographic thing. Oh, I'm praying for this. Some things only come with prayer and fasting. But we're heading there slowly, right? Uh, And and I'm hoping when that comes, it's going to be even easier. But ask for a membership directory. And just start praying for a few people, working through chunks of it. And as you pray, think about, I wonder how they're doing. And I wonder how I could provoke them, spur them on to love and good deeds. So that when you come on Sunday, oh, they're there, great. Hey, I was praying for you this week and I was just wondering about this, uh, this area, how, how's it going? And, and have, we can have useful conversations together. So you should consider how you can do it. Step number three, this is a crucial step follow through right it's not enough just to think about it we need to do it Um, the opposite of giving up meeting together is to commit to coming in order to encourage one another don't what I want to say to to this this night is don't give up on church because you need the encouragement you need the encouragement and don't give up on church because other people here need your encouragement I was told in pastoral training that on any given Sunday, 80% of people in church are sitting there in quiet desperation. 80% of people are sitting there in quiet desperation. And the longer I go in pastoral ministry, the more I think that is the case. We can actually brush up pretty good, look pretty good. The truth is many of us are struggling. And we need to push past that little Scottish reserve that we have, that little bit of Edinburgh frostiness, and provoke each other. Help each other. Encourage each other. Move beyond the superficial chat. Can I tell you, your mere attendance is an encouragement to others. Just turning up here, is encouragement to others. If there's only three of us here, it wouldn't be so encouraging, right? The fact that you're here and there's more than th- that is very encouraging, isn't it? You're looking around, this is encouraging. Uh, to come and see people eagerly gathering to hear God's word, to see people joyfully singing hymns and songs, to, to pray and to fellowship together is a great encouragement you know, the greatest way that we can encourage each other is to share God's word with each other and to remind each other to look to Jesus Christ. If I had the time, I don't now. We could just see how this really is the main theme of the book of Hebrews. The glory, the supremacy of Jesus Christ. Greater in every way than the old covenant, the fulfillment of it. Why go back when you have the fulfillment of Jesus Christ? And you know, we need to remind each other of Jesus and the gospel. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, it says in Hebrews 13. Here's an application that's going to never get old because Christ is so efficient in, in every way. Remember to, to point people to Jesus. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and Forever. I don't know about you, but even though I've been a Christian for many years, I can get down in the dumps. And I need, I need someone to come alongside me and say, Paul, have you forgotten the gospel? Remember the gospel. Remember who Jesus Christ is. Remember what he's done for you. And I need people just to remind me again of the gospel. Don't you find that? Prone to Prone to forget prone to miss the points and that's what this fellowship why can be so sweet if we will stir each other up to love and good deeds and to look to Christ because we gather as a church to encourage each other in Jesus Christ you agree? let's pray